My name is Zed. You're all here because you're the best of the best. Marines, Air Force, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, NYPD. And we're looking for one of you. Just one. What will follow is a series of simple tests for motor skills, concentration, stamina. why you felt little Tiffany deserved to die. Well, she was the only one that actually seemed dangerous at the time, sir. I'm thinking, you know, eight-year-old white girl, middle of the ghetto, bunch of monsters, this time of night with quantum physics books. She about to start some shit, Zed. She's about eight years old. Those books are way too advanced for her. If you ask me, I'd say she's up to something. And to be honest, I'd appreciate it if you eased up off my back about it. Now freeze. Ah! Sorry. Welcome to episode 18 of First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Cisco. I'm Bass. And we're covering, as usual, every issue and every tie-in comic of the Invasion crossover from DC Comics' 1988 output, late 1988, around Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and this is... One of the important issues, I think, that uh, we have to cover in the, the first chunk of it, and it's Captain Adam number 24. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, it's, it's a full issue. The yeah. synopsis is particularly wrong, uh, long, not wrong, but long. And, uh, because Captain Adam is supposed to be an important, we, we know he's an important character because everything's happening at the same time, and we hear about him a lot. Like each of these tie-in issues have had, yeah. oh, we've been called to wherever to talk to, you know, Captain Adam wants to speak to us and Captain Adam, we know that Captain Adam is going to be named uh, sort of the general of the uh, superhero forces. We know this already because it's been happening in the yeah. background. We see him try to recruit Superman in the Superman issues, but this is happening really earlier than all this or at the same time as all this. Yeah. So it's Captain Adam being recruited to then recruit other superheroes. Yeah. Well, he's been basically promoted. Because he's a captain. He's an actual captain. He's an actual captain he's in a pilot, the Air Force. fighter pilot. And he's great at it, apparently. So he's already a military man. He is. Even if his hair doesn't say he's a military man. Uh, it's but a bit long. It's a bit long. And you know what? Shape these uh, sideburns there, uh, soldier. A lot of sideburns. <laughs> yeah, a, lot a lot of, of curls. A lot of curls. Uh, but that's supposed to be because he's a man from the 60s and they're trying to like... Still, you're yeah, a soldier. Yeah, I know, I know. You're a soldier. Come on, man. You're not in the Beatles. Uh, the comic, the story is called War Day, and it's by writer Carrie Bates, uh, co-plotter Gary Weissman, penciler Pat Broderick, inker Romeo Tangal, letterer Carrie Spiegel, colorist Shelley Iber, assistant editor Dan Raspler, with editor Denny O'Neill. Uh, the cover's by Pat Broderick and Bob Smith. It shows a, um, the crowd of superheroes saluting Captain Adam. Actually, they, they played with the, with the title of the book. Because Captain Adam is in quotation marks, says Captain Adam, sir, in the, all in the same font, which is, I think, pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. So what do we think of this uh, cover to start with? You know what? It's a great cover. I like it. There's a lot of faces, except for Captain Adam's face. Uh, he has his back to us. Yes, we get top of ass crack. Yes, yes, and, and quite the butt. I think he played <laughs> soccer. He's, he has this nice little round thing. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just saying. 
but he has no pants. Uh, Captain Adam just has gloves. Yeah, he's and, a uh, naked superhero. He's a naked superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, not naked like, uh, <laughs> well, maybe kind of naked like, what's his name from uh, The Watchmen? Yeah, well, he is. Mr. Manhattan or Dr. Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan? He is Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, he is kind of. Because the Watchmen are based on the Charlton heroes, and the parallel is Captain Adam and Doc Manhattan. And that's why in the the New 52 he actually becomes. Yeah. uh, Kind of in in form. Yeah, that's very much. Anyways, we see everybody. Everybody. The whole Justice League is there. Batman, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Firestorm. Everybody's there. Even the Hawk people. Well, one of them. Uh, uh, Major Force is there also. I kind of like the little pink major force over there. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah. And the back row that we can see, there's like many rows that we can't see or just in shadow. But the back row of visible characters is basically uh, Infinity Inc. Uh, the team I do not give a rat's ass about. Well, is it Infinity Inc.? Yes. You've got Brainwave Jr. you got um, the Doctor, Doctor Midnight. Midnight. you got Wildcat. Yeah. Like probably the younger Hour Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see um, that. Mr. Bones. Is Mr. Bones there? And uh, there's Obsidian also. Nobody's like with their team necessarily because... You know, Green Lantern's really in the back, and then uh, yeah. you've got a couple of members of Doom Patrol. So, it's supposed to be the range of heroes that we know are connected to the invasion. Yeah, and Mullet Power Girl is there, if you uh, yep. if you were wondering. <laughs> oh. But, uh, yeah, it's a, I, I, I like it. They seem to be inside of this, like, warehouse type thing, which is very reminiscent of uh, where the <laughs> WC invasion yeah. used to hang out. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Let's look inside. Um, and like I said, this, a lot of stuff happens, so bear with me as I read through the synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> Although first panel is funny yes. as hell. Captain Adam ferries Maxwell Lord to a secret military facility and is told he's been named Commander-in-Chief of Earth's superhero forces on account of his Air Force background and rank, as we said. He's distressed to find out the commander of the conventional human forces is his usual foil, General Wade Eiling. Amanda Waller also consults and enjoys the conflict between the two men. Uh, in the mountains nearby, Durlin watches and plans. Right off the bat, Cap and Eiling disagree. Operation New Genesis, which consists of pointing a dangerous orbital weapon at the alien fleet, requires a pilot and Cap wants to be the one. He's outvoted uh, as he's too high profile to fly a covert space shuttle mission. So he chooses the only man he can trust. Steve Trevor from the Wonder Woman comics, of course. Trevor arrives via helicopter that night and is briefed on the mission. As preparations are made, everyone is surprised to see Eiling and Cap start to get along. Late in the night, Cap finds Steve inspecting the so-called baby shuttle before the big mission. But the next morning, Trevor is passed out, surrounded by a strange energy aura. Eiling considers scrubbing the mission, but Captain Adam decides he can fly it after all, and it's Eiling's turn to be voted down. Up in orbit, the Durlins haven't yet had word from their spy down below, but everything is going according to plan. Captain Adam is aboard the shuttle, and they are about to capture him. A booby trap is sprung aboard the shuttle, and Cap's spacesuit starts to fill with knockout gas. Down on Earth, Eiling finds Trevor's doctor drooling insensate inside the energy aura and realizes Steve is a Durlin shapeshifter and that he only made himself appear to be a victim of the alien so you wouldn't be suspected. Up in space, Captain Adam destroys the shuttle around him, burning off the gas. The Durlin plan has been foiled, but so has humanity's. At the base, Eiling has lost track of the Durlin spy who has shipshifted into a medical office skeleton. He attacks him from behind, but just then, Cap flies in. Both men race after the Durlin, 
who's now a bouncing skull and spine, and follow him to the helicopter hangar where a Lockheed 76A is flying off. Ordered to take out the pilot, Cap instead goes for a fuel tank on the chopper's underside and throws it at the rotor, a Durlin falls back down in five pieces. Cap's flown too many missions not to know the exact specs of a Lockheed, you see. Cap also reveals he figured out Trevor was a Durlin spy too late, but should have realized when Steve recognized him as Captain Adam. They'd only met when he was in his secret identity. In epilogue, all the heroes of Earth are assembling at the secret base, uh, but Captain Adam has left to recruit Superman. Will he return in time for Invasion Number 2? <gasps> the cover basically shows something that doesn't yet happen. Exactly. Just to do the little bit of the what what issue was this in kind of thing? Uh, the whole Operation New Gen- Genesis thing? The satellite weapon that mm-hmm. they want to use is... Um, was called New Genesis because it was a uh, one of Mr. Miracle's training devices, and it was first seen in a JLA story number, uh, JLI number eleven. Yeah. And Captain Adam met Steve Trevor in Captain Adam number seven and eight. They they were on a mission together as military officers, and that's how they met. That's how those stories connect to this one. And of course, next Captain Adam uh, will go try to rescue the real Steve Trevor in Wonder Woman number twenty six. Uh, and that's coming sometime in 2017 from First Strike the Invasion podcast. Uh, of course, we will get to that issue eventually. We will. And we already saw how he went to recruit Superman in Adventures of Superman number 449, exactly. which was our episode 11. If, there you go. If you're looking back for it. All right. So Max riding Captain Adam like a horse. <laughs> that's funny. Go. <laughs> that's funny. Well, you know, that's not something you see every day. It's something that's, that's re- very reminiscent of uh, the 50s. I mean, I, I used to, you know, see, cause I, I love these old comics and, uh, you know, you'd see Green Lantern doing like a couch for a couple people who can't, you know, fly or something or Batman being, you know, on Superman's back or something like that. And this is very reminiscent of this. You know what? It didn't really bother me. But then on the second page, there's this one alien monitoring type thing where they see Captain Adam with Max Lord on his back, which is kind of, it's just funny. And I mean, they don't seem to see anything wrong with it. It seems like a just normal thing. People riding other people. It's just great. Well, you know, it's it's kind of odd when you're you a man has to carry a man. I guess that's that's, oh, I think yeah, that's the, the problem that they're having here. They, they don't want to go the lowest lane route where they're holding in the arms like yeah, the officer and a gentleman. Exactly. Uh, so he's riding him like a horse. Uh, and, of course, uh, Captain Adam's back can take it. But well, it yeah. does look rather silly. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I mean, you, you'd think that these flying superheroes would have, you know, they would find some kind of, I don't know, some kind of harness or something to have. But they never have. They, they're yeah. always, you know... Yeah, that's why there's always like, uh, like the Justice League is like Green Lantern's always carrying yeah. a bunch of people in a the bubble. They should have yeah, a bubble available, you know. <laughs> but it's, I just, find it's yeah, funny. with the briefcase. And I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's going to work. It's, it's, he's, you know, can you give me a ride to work? Yeah, sure. Just hop on. Yeah. And, and it's great. <laughs> I just love it. So then there's the conflict between Eiling and Captain Adam, which is ongoing. I mean, this yeah. is the 24th issue. So it's like two years in. And the series started with this. I mean, yeah. it's, it's always been at odds. Uh, and so, so I think at this point, at this point, you know, Captain Adam's not so much working with Eiling anymore because, you know, he's shocked to have to work with him again. Yeah. Kind of thing. But he's, during the first year, there was a lot of that. He's not having it. He's not enjoying that at all. But we see the nice colors of uh, Amanda Waller, though, who is smiling all this time because she knows, you know, they don't like each other. I mean, they they have fists 
you clenched, know, clenched you know? and, you know, they're talking, oh, they're almost screaming at each other. Well, Captain Adam's got in a weird situation where he's forced to, it's like four people are working, are, are in the leadership of this. Like either government li- liaison or civilian liaison or military or uh, and superhero. And then they're all rather difficult personalities for him to work with. You are so polite. They're all assholes. <laughs> Eiling, Amanda, and uh, Max. Hmm. Yeah, and Amanda Waller's role in this is she's like the commander in chief of the villains. Well, she's covert. I guess yeah, she's like I the guess. she's like the black ops stuff. Yes, the villains. Will the be villains. Part of the task that's Force how S. that's how they said it. She's <laughs> she's in charge of the villains. So she's running the villains, and Kevin Adams going to run the heroes. And then you know, and Max is running Justice League. Basically, I mean, he's Max is just where anywhere Max wants to yeah. be. But Max is the liaison with the president. So he's, yeah. You know, he's the White House liaison in here, uh, or possibly the United Nations. Yeah, yeah. And Eiling is pre-Shaggy Man Eiling. I guess the one we all like most. I never even saw the the Shaggy Man stuff until. Oh, that's, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, much later. I, I really enjoyed that though. It turned. We've talked about this before. It just forced the Eiling role to be taken over by uh, Sam Lane. Yeah. Which kind of I don't know screwed up some of the Superman comics in a way. I guess, yeah. Why is Sam Lane so angry at Superman and the super people? I think it's a bit ridiculous. If it was, yeah. If it was Wade Eiling, you got a ready-made personality for that. Yeah, that's true. He's trying to control superheroes, you know, like Captain Adam is his own superhero project that he can control. Uh, So that's the dynamic, but eventually it's a strange bedfellows kind of idea where Captain Adam and Eiling have the same background after all, and they start to work together very well. Well, they're, they are military and, you know, military people. Let's they... just get the job done. And it's exactly. not about the, the conflict of personality. It's about chain of command and uh, they start working well together. Yeah. And I think they have this ability to see how people can be asses, but, but still work well within a certain dynamic. And they, they capitalize on the positive even if the person is a total asshole. And if you might have like a uh, personal problem with someone at the office, let's say, or in, uh, you know, we just went through the holidays, so possibly with your families or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever your situation is, you can blow up, you can quit, you can be troublesome. But in this case, Earth is at stake. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bigger problem. And we can put set that aside and Eiling is very able to say to Captain Adam, you know, your strategy is better than mine. And when they have a conflict, Captain Adam gets outvoted. And then Eiling gets outvoted in this, where the rest of the leadership weigh in. Yeah. And you might lose. And yes, Captain Adam kind of goes a little bit rogue and decides to to fly the mission. Yeah. Without much he oversight. Shouldn't he shouldn't do that. Uh, but, uh, but still... Once the decision's been made, the decision's been made, and then he, you know, he gets uh, Steve Trevor and all that. So yeah, I like it because it's how all of humanity is coming together, and it's represented by showing these people who are no- normally not friends having to work together and and working together. I guess, I guess kind of well because they get some stuff done. And Bates here is taking actually taking elements from other comics. So you know the, the Mr. Miracle satellite and this. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I kind of enjoyed that because kind of sets. A certain tone for a certain, and I hate the word, I don't hate the word, but I don't want to use continuity, but it, it kind of ties in everybody, because, I mean, a Justice League comic book basically is a, you know, crisis type book all the time, mm-hmm. right? They're individual heroes coming together for, you know. Right. And uh, the fact that they use this very odd satellite, this Death Star looking 
it was used in uh, JLI. Max Lord used this thing as a basically a uh, I don't want to call it really a publicity stunt, but that's what it was. It was this thing that was sending like this huge well it was a death death star basically and it was destroying stuff and then mr miracle said well this looks incredibly like something that won't kill me and just you know disabled it but nobody knew the news were all like "Ooh, the new justice league just saved the world and they all knew it wasn't true it was just like this fake thing or a training exercise thing and and but this thing went rogue and actually has kind of power and, you know, Max used it before. I don't see why Max wouldn't want to use it again. Yeah, that makes sense. It and makes sense. It shows Carrie Bates is one of these, like, uh, let's call him an old school comics writer who used to work within uh, the Marvel machine and then the DC machine, but who understands continuity and how you can tie in different elements. Yeah. And, uh, and perhaps there's, like, editors at work here as well, like, suggesting ideas for this. But, but we saw how he tied in into the Wonder Woman stuff with uh, Steve Trevor in earlier issues and brings him back. So he's very much a writer who is aware that he has a toolbox he can play with uh, and um, and he's bringing these different tools together because it is a big crossover yeah. story. So even though all the superheroes we see on, are on the cover or really the, the last page, there are other elements of the DC Universe brought to bear in a way that makes sense. Amanda Waller as well is from another comic. Yeah, uh, Maxwell Lord is from another comic. So he's bringing these different elements, and they all seem to to fit very well. I mean, to me, Captain Adam. We'll see how it all pans out because you know I've kind of forgotten the details. I'm I'm not I haven't read the Invasion in in years. My feeling is that Captain Adam is really one of, if not the most important uh, hero in the Invasion. He's like he's a centerpiece character of this. Whose whose story is it? Besides the alien story, I think Captain Adam is one of the characters who gets the most recognition here and gets the most visibility. Yeah. And after Invasion, you know, Captain Adam is a major player in the DC universe. Well, he was kind of a new. It was like two years old at this okay, point. Okay, so, so so the new version of Captain Adam. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh... In any case, the old version hadn't been seen in really in years, right? Yeah. So so this is a. a... An important young superhero story, basically. Yeah. He's not young, personally. No, no. But you know what I mean. I but, mean, yeah, but... as a superhero. I mean, two years in, that's that's not a lot. So, exactly. So, it's this is giving him a role that is very important yeah. in the crossover story. A role that you might have assigned to Superman normally. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, Superman definitely. should have been general of the armies kind of thing that's what you might do but then again superman doesn't have this military military background and this is one of nor the things... is he in a right in the good place as we saw in his own books exactly he's struggling he's got he's got issues i mean he could i mean superman could probably but you could also put batman in this oh yeah but batman also has his own issues in his yeah. own books so and, and anyway, those, those characters are so big and important and having to do, have to do big things Who's going to be the guy who is kind of forced to stay at home? And here he hijacks a mission for himself. But it's a bit of a first season yeah. Captain Picard kind of thing where he uh, he's told that he can't go on a mission yeah. because he would attract too much attention. It's a bit like, you know, you know the captain doesn't beam down to, with the away team. Yeah, captain doesn't go down no matter what Kirk taught you. Risk is our business. <laughs> no matter what, you know, it's the captain stays on the ship. Yeah. I don't think I've ever agreed with that. I, I don't of course think it fits not. The, it fits reality. It doesn't fit the Star Trek format. Exactly. Nor does it fit a superhero format. And 
Captain Adam is uh, arguably one of the most powerful superheroes in the DC stable. You know, we, he's very powerful. Do we know this at this point? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. The limits are... I don't think there's even an upward limit. It's just there's an upward... When he, he hits a wall at some point... Or really, he's got quantum powers. So he's throwing energy around, and he's invulnerable, and he's... Inside the shell is basically just energy because he's been sliced open and just, like, mm-hmm. radiation seeping out. But uh, if he uses too much of that power, if he, like... If he blows up, like, an, an atomic bomb, that energy propels him through the time barrier and into the future. Oh, okay. that was wow. his, Really, that was his origin story because he was, like, test piloting this alien shell okay. thing. Like, they blew him up, and it sent him to our time. But this happened in the 60s, and then he... Okay. So he's a man out of time uh, whose daughter was a baby and now is a grown woman. Oh, wow. And he's having to deal with that. Why don't I know all this? I don't know. I haven't read it. That's, That's why. That's it. That's uh, why. But, yeah, so Captain Adam was a bit of that. It was like a man in like the 60s. Like a super-powered... Captain America. Because you can see how Wade Eiling is much older than him, yeah. but they used to be sort of contemporaries. Yeah. So he's, you know, 20 years, he jumps 20 years uh, into the 80s. He's having to deal with all of that power, too much of it. He can be propelled into the future. He leaps, basically. Yeah, he quantum leaps. Oh, he's uh, Sam... Uh, Sam Beckett. Sam Beckett. Yeah. He quantum leaps? Yeah. Well, not backwards, but forwards. Yeah. yeah. So it makes him... You know, jump forward. Just like that original jump was huge. Uh, we've seen him, like, lose months. And at one point, they decided to call him, like, a quantum elemental. So he's on par with Swamp Thing. And, okay. Yeah, uh, I can see. Yeah. Well, it's 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 close to these uh, large forces. Yeah. You know, from, you know, the, the, the universe's large forces. So. so he is very powerful, but you're going to keep him at the base and not involve him? You know, so in this case, it was like a covert mission. Makes sense. So hopefully, yeah. we'll be seeing him lead the troops... You know, on the front lines, because yeah. that's where you would be most useful. Yeah, of course he is. It's uh, not yeah, just yeah. a strategic mind. Just... Yeah, yeah. You need you need that Aragorn type guy who's in front and, you know, doing the speeches and, you know, going to battle, riding in. That's what you want. You don't want the captain of a ship on the ship. Well, actually, you do. But that's not... <laughs> it's not a ship. It's the earth right. and, it's, and it's land. And, you know, and you, you want to be in there. And he has a skill set that is yeah. more than just... You know, so he's, he's a field commander, I think. He yeah. has to be a field commander and Eiling and all of them well, instead, base. You, you kind of have to be the field commander to be the leader of the superheroes. This guy, he needs to be on the field. So it's pretty obvious that Steve Trevor was the Durlin, I think. Yeah, I always believe what they tell me at first. So I, I'm always surprised by the twist. I'm always like, oh, man. Yeah, that's a great twist. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of, you kind of see it coming. Yeah. But you just choose not to really see it coming. But, yeah, yeah, I always like it. But it does show the Durlins as very, very deceptive. If they planned this whole thing, then they planned on... They call in Steve Trevor. They replace Steve Trevor. But who they want, really, is Captain Adam. So to, they force Captain Adam to go on the mission by taking out Steve Trevor, but taking him out later. Yeah. So, you know, the night before, the night, the morning of the mission. So then he's forced. Uh, so they want to make the mission fail. They also want to capture Captain Adam, who is the leader of the forces. So they knew all this. So they're really, really on the ball uh, with the plan. Yeah. And it fails because they underestimate Captain Adam, Captain Adam and his powers. Yeah. That's the only reason it failed, really. Because yeah. uh, even if uh, Captain Adam did kind of figure it out, he figured it out too late. Yeah. Well, uh, when you're choking on poison gas... Yeah, kind of late. It's kind of it's late, late to start thinking about it. Kind of late. But but you know what? It, it kind of sets up the Durlins a, a bit better than they were set up in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Where it was kind of, you know... We, we kind of 
thought all of a sudden that maybe they were very specialized in things and, you know, maybe only the covert type thing. But this is, well, it's still covert, but, you know, it's very strategic. They're trying to yeah. get one of the strongest superheroes. Yeah, in Cuba, it was a lot of, you know, I'm being Castro or I'm being whoever. And then, oh, I'm found out. I turn into a snake and run away. And there's a lot of turning into snakes and running away. Yeah. And this, it turns into a skeleton and runs away. <laughs> it's worth it just for Captain Adam kung fu kicking <laughs> an animated skull. Yeah, of course. But, but you know, they, they, they did scheme a lot more. Yeah. And you know they were they were planning a yeah, lot more. Yeah, there's a plan from there's a, yeah. there's a plan from you know there there are three four moves ahead. Yeah, exactly. And it all falls apart, sure. But uh, only because they underestimated the power of Captain Adam. If only for that. Other than that, that plan would work. Yeah, it almost did. I mean, if if this was uh, Guy Gardner, he'd be in the ship with the Durlins. <laughs> You know, and he would be, you know, powerful and everything, but he'd be in the ship of the Durlins. Yeah. So this kind because of... Because Captain re- Adam does, like, two big things. There's the... First, he blows up the, the ship, burning yeah. away the gas, and then he has to return to Earth because he can't breathe in outer space. So, okay, it makes the mission fail, but it saves him. Yeah. And then he arrives just in time. And then after that, there's the, his military knowledge yeah. that makes him spot the... Extra gas tank. The extra gas tank, and then he throws the gas tank into the... The rotors, and I mean, it's pretty vicious. It's pretty vicious. Probably, I don't know if he thought he would kill the Durlin, because maybe he thinks the Durlin is tougher than rotors. Because, I mean, they they kind of are supervillains, right? I mean, it's an alien. He can transform into a metal tank. It's actually super smart, because if he was wrong, it was just like an extra gas tank. It's not the right gas tank. Who knows? And the pilot was the Durlin, which was what... Eiling was saying, take yeah. out the pilot. If he's wrong about that, he takes out the pilot and it's a human being. He's killed someone, yeah. a friend of fire. And he hasn't caught the Durlin. If he throws the gas tank into the rotor and it's the Durlin, as it was, he wins. If he throws the, the gas tank into the rotor and it's the Durlin is still the pilot, still the wins. gas tank blows up and he, you know, he blows up the pilot. Yeah. So Wow, that was uh, that was quick thinking there. I didn't think of that. I just did right now. Yeah. So I, I, that makes you, know, you brilliant. I could, I could be a superhero. You could be. Are if, you? No. No. Oh. I'm missing the um, super. A lot of things. <laughs> missing the hero and the, missing a lot of things. So they went. They went. They went. And it's all Captain Adam. Captain Adam is really. I think it shows that he's the right man for this job. He is smart, resourceful, adapts. Yeah. Got out of this trap. Knows his stuff. Quick thinking, military yet can work with others because yeah. he he sort of he works with Eiling even though they're normally enemies. Yeah, you know, he's. I think there's a very very strong issue for Captain Adam and and a very strong crossover for him. Oh as yeah, well definitely. Sadly, he doesn't get to have that moment at the end that we see on the cover. That's to come because when the superheroes arrive and it's just the Justice League really or right now know, yeah I people only see, connected well, to the Justice League Flash and the Justice League. We can't see everyone. There's Black Canary on the very forefront there. Yes. In the, uh, the old... Uh, yeah. Well, we saw her in the Wonder yeah. Woman. She was wearing and, that costume. And she was wearing that costume. It's just that, you know, I'm reading uh, GLI at the same time. And yeah. she has the uh, Kung Fu outfit, which is great. Yeah. I, the, I, the... I, I like to call it the Kung Fu outfit because she has these weird things that looks like samurai. and Okay. Or whatever. I think other people call it the... Um... The mom outfit because it's sort of uh, oh she has the mom the mom jeans on mom yeah, yeah sort yeah. of thing or like yeah that's fine like I don't a sweatery um, I, I like to call it the Olivia Newton John outfit it is I think very aerobics it's very Xanadu-ish. Mm-hmm. I do get it but uh, I kind of like that they still kept 
this Black Canary. This is the yeah. well, here iconic. She's, uh, yeah. she's particularly hot. Well, yeah, yeah. She's Black Canary. I, but well done. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and it's it's funny to me that um, the blue and gold are there and, <laughs> you know, he's like... Yeah, yeah hey, he's nudging. <laughs> yeah, blue Beetle's like uh, giving a elbowing booster goals. I'm like, whoa, look at that. Like, I mean, they've worked together yeah, before. Yeah, but she had the Newton John outfit. So now it's, you know, they realize that that look is... That is. Very sexy. That is. Um, I'm not sure if Mr. Miracle's... Yawning, or he's got a strange expression you, on his face. He has a strange expression on his face. He doesn't look pleased because he's right beside Hawkman. Well, he's looking at Booster, so maybe it's like a Booster and Beetle are being infantile, and yeah, he's probably. reacting to that. It's possibly that. I think there's a Wally West is looking rather pissed at um, Hal Jordan. I don't know why though, because well, I'm, I kind of know why, because Barry and Hal had a lot of great. And he's the brave and the bold. They're, they are the original brave and the bold, right? So maybe the expressions aren't that... Well, no. I don't know. Well, what did you think of the art in general in this? Pat Broderick on... Uh, you on know what? Book? I, I kind of liked it. The only thing with these uh, late 80s issues is always... My issue is always with color. Everything is either pink or kind of grayish pink. And there's a lot of pink and purple. And, <laughs> and, and you know, okay. Eiling's hair is purpley gray and you know everything is kind of mated i don't know what makes it uh, but everything is kind of pale and and once in a while you have like little green trees that pop out but everything is always like bluish clear blue i have to say i prefer it there's something to the i think it's just the art style as well maybe uh, when i see it reprinted with brighter colors or like the vibrant the, like the wider paper the glossier paper i hate it i mean it wasn't drawn to to fit that coloring. Yeah, yeah, I, it's I, like I, I do get that. There's a different way of working today that, that like, comics today, it, Very different. sometimes it works. It doesn't always work, and I think sometimes the the dot matrixy look just looks terrible on glossy paper. And I grew up on these, obviously, so it's, to me that's not an issue. And I think the coloring in this is largely well done. There's no, even I don't think shadings. And... It's not the coloring. It's the color choice. Okay. You know, I, don't, I don't get the purples... And I don't know. I don't purple know why. Gray. I don't know why the gray, gray hair. Yeah, I don't know why gray hair should be purple. I see it as purple hair. Let me start to explain some things that happened in um, one of my, my other shows, uh, Oh Hot More Not, where Art Girl Josie, yeah, uh, who is was an art student and yeah. is an artist in her own right, a painter and, and, and a great lady. I know her. She's yes. a great lady, and um, she's always um, misidentifying colors. Really? Yes. She was, she will say. Oh, this is uh, why is this thing orange or purple? I know, I know she isn't. has, she has it isn't. An, she has an issue with orange, but she will say something is a certain color, and everybody else, especially me, will say, well, No, am I am that I, color is that color? So, am I just seeing purple instead of gray? No, you're seeing well, you're seeing purple instead of gray because it is purple, but it's purple that means gray. Oh, like the, uh, yeah, I get it. Like the blue would mean black in some of these comics because you can't have a black. Like blue hair? Like Superman's blue hair. Yeah. It's just a reflection. So obviously the hair is not blue. Yeah. It's black. Well, so I don't get the purple as gray. This kind of purplish gray is supposed to be like metal gray. So like a silvery gray. You can't have silvery gray because. No, silver is Captain Adam. So so Captain Adam is white and blue. Mm -hmm. So that's silver. We understand this to be silver. Yes. Right? Yes. So the gray hair on Eiling or the, the color of the Durlin ship. Can't be purplish, silver. 
Purplish. So it has is to be gray, purple. right? This it's is like gray. weird. It's because gray looks like. Look at the baby shuttle. The baby shuttle is a deep, like page uh, twelve, uh, where we see all these purples and grays together. Yeah. The that that ship is actually gray, right? Yeah. That's a, a like a deeper gray. That's and Then gray. you got the purplish gray, <laughs> which is a lighter gray. Which is supposed to be a lighter gray, but it's still a gray. It's not really purple. Well, thing is, it's purple. Even though I'm supposed to to know that this is gray, it's still purple. I understand. It's there's a codification there in is. comics that we understand that uh, you know, uh, like motion lines yeah. are not physically there. They just mean motion. Like when you see like yeah. little droplets around a person's face, it just means emotion. It doesn't yeah. mean wiggly lines. Sweating. Is, <laughs> wiggly lines <laughs> is the spider sense. Yeah, I right. get it. So there's elements like that, and I think in color, there is that as well. We well, understand the color is not actually this, but in comics it means to represent this, because all they had was like a, a, a more limited color palette the, at the time. Yeah, but well, they kind of established this in the very first page, that purple was gray. In the clouds? In the clouds, because right. there are only <laughs> two colors of clouds. Right. There's white and there's gray. And here it's a sort of purple. And the, the sky is blue, and Captain Adam is white and blue. And I'm thinking, because it's kind of gray, but it's kind of purple, Max Lord has a gray suit. Yes. And it sometimes looks grayer. So they kind of... Possibly grayer. They times. kind of established this, and this is not... No, that this he, is changes, not... he changes <laughs> yeah. by page three. He's already changed. He's wearing a black suit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or a dark blue suit. How's this? Uh, uh, he well, has a travel uh, suit. Then, then he has back to back to the gray suit on the next page. So that's not that's not very. But they kind of established this, and I guess I'm just I I'm just kind of late in the interpretation of purple as gray. But yeah, purple. But you're is right. Gray. There's a, a a reddish tinge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the grays and browns. Yeah. Uh, because they put like a little there's a little pink dot, a little magenta dot in these places, and for me, the coloring didn't really enter into it. I'm a big fan of Pat Broderick's art. It, I yeah. liked him on uh, Firestorm. I like him here. He's a good partner for for Carrie Bates, certainly. And uh, I've always liked his stuff. I think there's maybe a, a one art mistake in really? the thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it's the ship, the Durlin ship, because it is does not look like a Durlin ship. It's you know it looks like a like a technological ship. But we saw in the first Inshua invasion, we saw Durlin ships, and Durlin ships was like organic. Yeah. Uh, and so they have uh, dialogue saying. Uh, you know, we're we're sitting here, and the humans don't know that we're the Durlins because we're using one of the other ships. Ha ha ha! So is that dialogue that's been added that's after di- to explain? Yeah, that's dialogue that's been added. Because so, these these ships, they do look familiar because they have these gun-like ships. Yeah. But I don't know who has them. Warlords, maybe, Kuns, maybe. The warlords, yeah, maybe. The Kuns have those big... The U-ones. The U, U-ships. Thing. Yeah, they're yeah. built like U's. We'd there. have to check. But yeah, the, the ones that look like guns. Yeah. Um, but other than that, really, the artwork is very nice. I, I, I like to notice... You know what? The camera angles are good yeah. also because nothing popped out. Every time somebody ruins a camera angle or... You feel it. Yeah, I, oh, I, I, it, it just pops and I can't deal with that. Yeah. Well, just look at the action scene when um, Captain Adam returns from space. You had him barging through the smashing mm-hmm. the door, and then there's like that kung fu shot where he kicks the skeleton, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then uh, on the next page, the way Eiling is running with his gun out, uh, you know, it's all it's yeah. very dynamic. It's got the camera comes from different areas. Yeah, but he never crosses the angle the and never crosses the axis. Is that what how they say it? Yeah, because you know the camera goes up. 
to see that that kick shot and you still notice the two doors that are there or the one door that is there and the you know everything is still where it should be it's very clear i it's, think the searchers have good expressions you kind of know how the room is set up and and where that door leads to and how it's set up inside the building and, and even if it were all terrible he gives us that shot of black canary at the end <laughs> no but really the the artwork is very great i mean he can draw feet uh <laughs> You know how we like feet. And the hair is always nice. The characters. You know what? He does a great uh, Amanda Waller. And we see Amanda Waller from almost all angles. And you always recognize Waller. You know what? You know he's good when you can do these shadows. And you know exactly who everybody is. Yeah. Just in silhouette. Yeah. Just in silhouette. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And he can also do the the hardware stuff. The helicopters look good. Ships look good. Uh, any final thoughts before we uh, move on to the next section? I really like Captain Adam. I don't really know him. He's one of those that I should know more because he's one of these powerful superheroes that I always love. But I don't know him. I, I mean, we should we should uh, get to know each other, Mr. Adam. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second part where we always tackle the, the hero and what he's meant to us and apparently not meant to us in <laughs> certain cases. Uh, so uh, we'll listen to a short promo. And uh, we'll be back to talk about Captain Adam. Booster? Hey, bro. Gah! Bats! Booster! Together! Wow! Well, this is great. This is just awesome. You never said you and Booster were friends. <laughs> It never came up. A consummate professional like you? Friends with a dilettante like Booster? You're both my friends, okay? You're more of a work friend, and Booster is more of a fun friend. What's more fun than fighting crime? Ooh, he's got you there. Hi, this is FKA Jason's son again. I just wanted to take another minute of your time to tell you about his podcast, Silver and Gold. He and his buddy Roy Charlemagne Clary celebrate the DC Comics characters Booster Gold and Captain Adam, issue by issue, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the real reason you want to listen to the Silver and Gold is their Throwback Thursday episodes, because I'm the star of those shows. Dad and I review the Silver Age Captain Adam stories published by Charlton Comics in the 1960s. You can find the Silver and Gold podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow Dad's Splitting Adam's blog at CaptainAdamBlog.com. We all know the real reason you'll be tuning in is to hear me criticize, uh, I mean, celebrate the Silver Age Captain Adam in our Throwback Thursday episodes. I can't believe Dad roped me into this. Silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold, everyone's searching for silver and gold. If you're alone, when you grow old, you'll never find comfort in silver and gold. We're back. We're talking about Captain Adam, the 80s Captain Adam, of course, yeah. in a sense, but um, really... Well, this isn't your first meeting with him. You've seen him in teams. I've, and I've seen him. I've seen him. I've seen the older Captain Adam, the one with the blue shirt or the blue body. The Charlton yeah. version, yeah. Uh, and the, I think, metal arms or I don't know what it was. Yeah. It was, he was kind of weird looking. Yeah, uh, that wasn't bit. his only costume. I first met him in Charlton reprints okay. from uh, an imprint called Modern Comics, which is like straight up reprints uh, in the 70s of those 60s comics. And I've, I've, I have a few. I have like the first appearance of Blue Beetle and the first okay. appearance of The Question. And um, 
the first appearance of Blue Beetle is actually in an issue of Captain Adam as a backup. And I have that issue of Captain Adam. And and that's not it's not Ted Cord. Uh, yeah, Ted Cord. is it Ted Cord? Yeah, not really? the original, original. Not the original original. Okay, from Fox Publications or whatever. I got those in Flea Market or something. Oh, that's nice because they're just reprints, but they're Ditko, you know, stories. And they're great. They're great characters. They're fun. And uh, so I knew these characters beforehand, and I thought, oh, and I really like Blue Beetle especially. Yeah. Of that lot. It was like very, like a Spider-Man-y mm-hmm. kind of thing. The action was nice. Captain Adam, mm, whatever. Didn't have a great costume back then. Uh, so when DC bought up the uh, Charlton Heroes, I mean, those comics started coming out and just after Crisis. And I was into it. I was, you know, I wanted to get into the DC universe. For mm-hmm. me, post-Crisis was a port of entry. And uh, I loved the Blue Beetle series, even though it was very, very, let's say, ordinary superhero comics. But it had, like, a sense of fun and, yeah. like, the art and all that. But uh, Captain Adam was the winner for me because it was an involved story. It was a more adult story. Yeah. And it was had it, its own feel. The Blue Beetle just seemed like another superhero. It was more like generic. It. it was fun. It was it had, like, clean art. I liked the character. But it was like, let's introduce uh, a different villain every couple months. And, yeah. you know, it's like Spider-Man. It's very movies. much like Spider-Man, yeah. And none of those villains did very well. I don't after, even... After Fire Fist or um, <laughs> the Carapax or... Uh, I don't remember these yeah, supervillains no, at all. I mean, the Muse. So <laughs> somehow I can name them, but I mean, it, they're not memorable. Yeah. They did not go anywhere after this very much. Uh, Overthrow. Had like oh, a I... lacrosse suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember okay. him. <laughs> Wasn't he with the Hyalai thing? He... That's it. That's it. I, yeah. I keep saying it's lacrosse, but it's not. No, it's, no. Uh... I say Hyalai, but I don't even know what it is. Uh, it's the, it's I think it's Hyalai. It's a sport, yeah. 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 It's that mafia it kill, sport. It kills people or something. <laughs> people have died playing this sport. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I think. Well, I don't know. It turned someone into a supervillain. Well, there you go. Uh, and he was like a manhunter. You know, that was Blue Beetle. Captain Adam had... Okay, this guy... Comes back from the 60s. He's learning to, to live two decades later. He's in the military. There's no other military heroes. It had more of a feel like Suicide Squad does. It had like yeah. covert ops in it. Uh, there was a cover story. Like all the old Charlton stuff did not happen, obviously, in the DC Universe, except they were the cover story for Captain Adam. So when Captain Adam comes out, they build him up. The military builds him up as a superhero that's always been around, but working covertly. Okay. Secretly. And then they tell, so he goes on a show and he tells his story and it's a fake origin that doesn't have the military in it. He's undercover as a superhero kind of thing. Nobody knows he works for the military so he can go into hotspots around the world and it doesn't come back on the American government. He does stuff like that in the early and the first year. So, so he tells the story that is basically the Charlton Comics story and that becomes (laughs) this like secret or his his public origin, but it's not. He's like, he's like Jason Statham. In Spy, where he just tells the plots from <laughs> it, other movies yeah, and they make no sense. I once used defibrillators on myself. I put shards of glass on my fucking eye. I've jumped from a high-rise building using only a raincoat as a parachute and broke both legs upon landing. And I still had to pretend I was in a fucking Cirque du Soleil show. I've swallowed enough microchips and shipped them back out again to make a computer. This arm has been ripped off completely and reattached with this fucking arm. Yeah, but it's but it's fake. But it's so fake. all the thing where he uh, you know he gets trapped inside a rocket to get a screwdriver and yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that is in the Charlton origin, and he tells it as if it was a real. So it, they reuse that kind of thing. He had a, like a romantic entanglement with plastique. Oh, really? The explosive lady. The explosive Quebecer. Now sit down. 
Um, so, you know, so they, they brought in characters from around the DC universe to play around with Captain Adam, but also characters of his own. But it had a more, uh, more of a Mission Impossible kind of feeling sometimes. And oh, that's cool. More of covert ops kind of stuff mixed in with a superhero that had like uh, a lot of power. It's not weird, but it should be fun to have one of those superheroes that is very powerful. And, you know, because you can easily see, you know, Dick Grayson becoming a spy. You know, it could be done. He's He's been done. Yeah. But, you know, seeing a very powerful superhero going covert and, you know, that's that's unlikely. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And he had a an important, like an interesting supporting cast. If you look at Wade Eiling, General Eiling just became a very important character in the DC Universe full stop. So, yeah. uh, and that came out of his book. And then, you know, Major Force was like the opposite number of him that they created in the annual, like the first year. Uh, so you had other characters spinning out of Captain Adam as well. The The series itself lasted 57 issues oh, plus annuals. That's and pretty good. Between 87 and 91. Wow. And uh, so really Carrie Bates wrote almost the entire thing or and but I think the the series really lost steam after issue 28 when uh Pat Broderick left and uh, Raphael Kayanan took over it's not an art style I liked all that much but also like the main thrust of the the major arcs were over and okay. trying to find something else for him to do kind of thing uh, but he did have like a, a more of a life than that because he was in the Justice League, Justice League International, mm-hmm. and then he'll go on to lead Justice League Europe as well. So he's he's a main player. Yeah, he he has a resume. Well, I mean, he's done a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, but after Invasion, they kind yeah. of give him his own team, so it makes sense. And he's got a long career as a character since really it started in the '60s. He himself is a person from the '60s, so actually there's a link to the Charlton. Another link to the Charlton. It feels like a very smooth transition from uh, where he was before, during the Charlton years, and afterwards. So yeah. that's kind of cool. You you don't feel cheated all of a sudden because you know maybe you liked him when he was, and all of a sudden he's with DC and he changed everything. Yeah. And, that and then they be... had like that screw up with Armageddon two thousand one. I haven't read that. Well, really, it's just a series of annuals where Wave Rider, this guy Wave Rider. Mm-hmm. I know him. He comes from the he comes from 2001, the future. Yes. And uh, in the future, there's a villain called Monarch yeah. who has more or less taken over the the Earth and killed all the heroes. So he goes back in time, Wave Rider goes back in time, and he has the ability to touch someone and see their future. So he's trying to figure out who Monarch really is. Because Monarch wears a big armor, and nobody knows who he is. But he, yeah. we know he's a hero who went bad. Oh my! Isn't that the one with the big twist? Everybody thought it was going to be uh, uh, Captain Adam. Captain Adam, and it was Kestrel or something like that, or Hawk, Hawk, Hawk of Hawk and Dove. And this is the thing: everybody thought, yeah, the writer of the story thought, <laughs> the editors thought, everybody he was. And why suppo- did it? Why did it he was supposed to be Captain Adam? And then people guessed it, <laughs> and then they decided at the last minute to change it because, oh crap, there's no surprise now. It was like the stupidest move because Monarch has blue eyes for the length of the crossover. And then in the last chapter, basically, he has brown eyes. Oh, that's horrible. And then Don't he's Hawk that. and then not motivated. It's not a character who should become Monarch, who could become Monarch. It's like the dumb jock who somehow becomes Doctor Doom. Wow. And he ha- doesn't have a motivation for it, really. So it, it was just like screwed up. And then it's that's the worst thing. It's like if at least it was, oh, Captain Adam, it's a, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a shocker. 
Captain Adam is one of our big heroes. He goes bad. He becomes monarch. Or maybe they stop him from becoming monarch through the story. Did I read this? Because this seems very familiar. I don't know. But it's because it had a lot of... It rippled out in a way. Because if you were saying, okay, uh, Captain Adam is too important a character, too good a character. We can't turn him into a villain. We can't even make him become a possible villain because it ruins the character. Uh, Screw it. Hawk and Dove, that's tanking right now. Who gives a shit? Turn Hawk into him. We don't need that character. And we've proven we can create new Doves, so we can create new Hawks. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Boom. Done. If it were to save Captain Adam. But it didn't save Captain Adam. It ruined him as well. It ruined Hawk. And then it ruined Captain Adam, because he was supposed to have this other fate. And the next thing you know, they're coming out with miniseries with Captain Adam in the center of it. He's lost his series. He's in Armageddon, the alien agenda, Armageddon Inferno. He's, he's in other things that have the Armageddon name because he's tied to that, but he didn't become monarch. So what is... And then every time there's a crisis or something, countdown, or they're doing a sort of, oh, monarch shows up and he's Captain Adam in that universe. And then it's Captain Adam versus monarch. And then it's... They keep tying him into that concept. So, so they're trying to... So they to ruined re- him anyway. They ruined it. Then they tried to redeem themselves and ruined it more. Yep. Oh, you Well, shouldn't. I mean, that's my feeling. So Captain Adam sort of after Armageddon 2001, Captain Adam is still around, but they're having real trouble making him do stuff, giving back a series. And, mm. and then, then Watchmen fever hits... And they've got to make Captain Adam basically become Doc Manhattan. So he, uh, so in the new series, in the new Fifty Two, Captain he, Adam is Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, just in the mainstream DCU. It wasn't a bad series. I haven't read it. It wasn't a bad series. I, I only have number one. But it wasn't this Captain Adam or even the Charlton Captain Adam. It was Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, with elements of the this. Uh, 80s series in it. I liked it because it was like a more reflective, what if you had all these, it's really a Doc Manhattan story where you get all these powers and this cosmic awareness and then you sort of divorce yourself from humanity and what happens, you know. So it wasn't bad. I had interesting artwork, but um, perhaps too cerebral for what the New 52 was going for, which was bringing in a more action-oriented... I don't know what they tried to do because it kind of... Eh. Didn't last. New 52 was quite a bit about canceling series. <laughs> what was the New 52 about? It was about canceling series. Yeah, yeah. It was an invasion of the editorial yeah. uh, kind. In the end, I think what killed the New 52 wasn't the quality of the stories, necessarily, or the reinvention of the characters. No, I don't think so. I think it was that kind of... Like, for me, I was reading some New 52 series. Yeah. But then you lose faith because... Either the, the the series you do like get canceled, and then after a while you just say, "Well, that's just going to get canceled anyway." So why would I? You know, I love the idea of oh, they're bringing the green team. They're doing the green team. Awesome. Why would I read that? Because I know in six months it's going to be gone and it's maybe be... not have a real ending. Why aren't you just coming out with mini series at this point? I mean, yeah. we all know this is what they're going to be. Uh, so that's a lot of what happened with yeah. the new Fifty Two. I think more than whatever drop in quality or I think a lot of yeah. For for me, it was uh, it wasn't a reinvention either because I like seeing superheroes just tweaked and and seeing seeing them evolve and we've seen them evolve a lot so I don't, I, that didn't bother me but yeah kind of like you I just didn't see the point and it had nothing to do with the characters it was everything to do with publishers the suits the suits the suits once again comes the down to suits. the suits 
So, um, so Captain Adam, I think, is a an '80s series that's worth rediscovering if um, if you can get access to the books. You know what? The I first would, two three years, I think. I would read Captain Adam before I would read any Hawkman, but me too. So, but yeah, that run is really actually okay. quite good. And if you like the that covert element of the of the late '80s, mm-hmm. like the end of the Cold War, DC Comics had Suicide Squad. And checkmate, and yeah. Captain Adam was in that in oh. that spectrum. It's worth exploring, and I think the the quality is pretty high. I really like this one, and uh, it also just sets us up for how power is, uh, who takes care of what, and who's doing what in which role in the higher up higher echelons. So yeah, this one is a great issue. I loved it. The cover is nice. We'll take a small break. Listen to a promo. Sure, and then we'll be back with letters. From the front. Let us from the front. Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes, presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the Irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer. Or maybe we should call them Flight Ringers. Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes. in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. And we're back. It's time for Letters from the Front. Letters from the Front. Letters from the Front. Uh, one of these fronts is Facebook. Oh. Where David A. Gutierrez says, the best part is Siskoid's adamant denial in owning the Wild Dog series. <laughs> there, there's still a little bit of uh, backwash from the CW. <laughs> oh, there's still. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm mostly going to skip all of that stuff. But uh, if you yeah. want to join that conversation, you can go to fireandwaterpodcast.com where it's on. Still on? Well, you know, it's still it, running. It, it was yeah. People like to talk about it because yeah, they, they've hey, seen it. You know what? It's it's cool that people talk about it for so long. It's cool. And thank you, Dave, for reminding me. It is Wild Dog. I, you know, I I knew it second time going around it, that I was gonna say Mad Dog, and then we switched to Mad Dog eventually. It's, it's Wild Dog. Wild Dog. We <laughs> but uh, just goes to prove I don't have any Wild Dog comics. I think you do. Where did I read that though? I, I, don't I read it. I read a four-part miniseries, and I thought it was it, you. It's the one miniseries, and there's a special, I think, but I don't have any of those issues. I don't get it. On the blog. Mm-hmm. Let's go uh, the blog slash uh, the, the website for the network. We have Dr. Ange who says, I have been looking forward to this episode, and we're, here we're talking about episode 17, uh, the Swamp Thing yeah. issue. Swamp Thing 81? Right. He says, I've been looking forward to this episode because I have a long history with Swamp Thing. When I was about 12, I began collecting titles monthly as opposed to just looking for a cool cover on the spinner. The pre-Moore, Marty Pasco, Tom Yates run on Swamp Thing was one of the first titles I actually collected monthly in this way. I was floored by the religious-slash-horror themes Pasco had and the art, which eventually switched to Beset Totalbin, was great. Unfortunately, I dropped the book right before Moore took over. Well, oops. And the love of Moore's stuff led me to, uh, because he eventually read it, uh, to grab some early uh, Ween writes and stuff. So I luckily had number nine, which riffed on the issue you cover. 
Of note, the original Alien does not uh, does make an appearance in a fever dream Swamp Thing has once he realizes he's a plant and not human. Yeah, well, I see, I saw that little clip there. Yeah. You just see him in like in a background and jumble of people or yeah, things you see going on, like past monsters. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and they use that alien. Yeah. As for Veitch's run, I thought the concept was interesting. As you say, one of Moore's arcs was Swamp Thing being sent off Earth. In his absence, the Parliament of Trees created a new elemental spirit. These spirits need to fuse with a human who dies in some fiery manner. This was another thing Moore did, rolling the original House of Secrets story into the bigger legend. When Swamp Thing returns, he has to find a receptacle for this sapling. The arc carried on a bit too long before the final solution, have Swamp Thing possess John Constantine and sleep with Abby. Which I guess is how Tiffy was... uh... I guess that's how you you do that. And he says, after that arc, we got an overly long run of Swamp Thing moving back in time. Uh, That was two arcs that were too long, so I left. And honestly, I've never come back. It's one of those times when Moore's run is so iconic, everything else pales. But if you are Veitch, and you think there might be a a little sales bump in this invasion crossover, and you want to lure new readers in, what better way than a juicy sex scene? It is very juicy. (laughs) Chris Franklin from Supermates and Nightcast says, The CW Invasion... Yes, that was the first appearance of the Hall of Justice in the CW-verse. It was. That was a question we had. The Hall of Justice design from the Super Friends is based on a real-life landmark in Cincinnati, Ohio, the former Union Terminal, which is now a natural history museum. I've been there many times, and I get a charge each time I see it on the horizon. Oh, that's cool. I got to go see that now. Yeah. I think that's the same. That is the picture we like on the posters. Okay, yeah. They actually use the... Um, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. The pick from Cincinnati. Yeah. I, need, I need to go there now. Yeah, oh yeah, and and run out in a back like a super suit. friends pilgrimage. Yeah. Oh, let's let's do it. <laughs> what other locations? But we got to do some jet skiing. <laughs> of course. Uh, I'm really puzzled. He says at how large guy is drawn. Was this Veitch treating the league similar to more Beset Totalman's treatment of the JLA as a shadowy group of gods watching events from their perch in the sky early in their run? I have to think there was some kind of commentary there. I'd forgotten about this. But yeah, Alan Moore used the Justice League as sort of sinister-looking gods, as if it's a very different reality, these superheroes from Swamp Thing's grittier... It's like using the superheroes as a sort of, you know, more mythical than they actually are. So is Guy Gardner a giant because he is a god among... Okay. Men in the same way. It was Veitch just doing... In the Swamp Thing universe, superheroes look like this, bigger than life. And well, it it, 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 pros- it possibly could have been, but it, it would have been a weird choice doing that in that one single issue. I don't know. If I was just picking up Swamp Thing because he's part of the invasion, I wouldn't get that. And no. It would just seem like it's weirdly drawn. And when Moore did it, it was like years before. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a stretch. We could probably say, yeah... Yeah, maybe. I mean, it makes sense that that might be it. Uh, Jeff R. says, when you're done with the invasion and crossovers and all, you might want to consider covering Swamp Thing number 96, which is a sort of an invasion epilogue exploring the effect of all of the alien war dead on the Earth's afterlife. Oh, actually, we should. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we, we had the... the musings and the the prologues uh, beforehand. Yeah, so. we are we are going to be doing some epilogues, and oh, I, yeah. I have plans for it. And uh, let's just add this issue to uh... let's. Thank you, Jeff. And on the whole CW crossover, we wondered if this was the first time they'd ever done a four part crossover. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like this is a television landmark. It's never yeah. been done. Yeah. Uh, some people chimed in to say, "Well, almost done." 
he says that considering Supergirl wasn't really part of the crossover, it's really only three shows. And three-way crossovers have happened several times before. CSI, CSI Miami, and CSI New York at least once, uh, maybe twice, and several times with various combinations of the Dick Wolf Chicago shows and or Law & Order. I don't think that last one has done a four-way yet, but it's only a matter of time. I mean, guess Law & Order does so many shows. To which uh, Chris Franklin added, I think the WB Westerns of the early 60s had several crossovers. Okay. Between Maverick, Lawman, Cheyenne, etc. And Diablo Frank said, Never forget Hurricane Saturday, the 1991 uh, one-night, two-hour crossover event between Golden Girls, Empty Nest, and Nurses. Oh my god, we gotta watch that. <laughs> we, we need to watch this. <laughs> oh man, thanks Frank. Rob Kelly from uh, Film & Water, uh, Digest Cast, and all sorts of stuff, says, For whatever reason, Saga of the Swamp Thing seemed to be the house book for the Joe Kubert School, to which he went. Keeps reminding us that he went to the Joe Kubert <laughs> School. Uh, uh, he says, Alumni Beset Yates, Veitch, Mandrake, and Dursima all worked on it in just a few years. We used to watch a TV series as a group and laugh uproariously at its awfulness. As one should do. <laughs> Joe X here says, as far as Guy goes, the Spectre is probably a better choice for that spot. It, you know what? Probably would have been. Same Although, color scheme. Same color scheme. <laughs> Uh, a bit more sinister. Yeah, and he uh, could have been like a giant figure in the. That yeah, show. and uh, being an agent of uh, chaos. What? What is he? Uh, Spectre is he? God tells him. Uh, God tells him what to do. To do the revenge. Yeah. He's, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. so it would have been easier to justify the explosion and destruction. Actually, this makes sort of weird a weird kind of sense if this were true that it was like the Spectre was supposed to be in there. And yeah. then you had to change it at the last minute because the yeah. Spectre got pwned out of the invasion. You Absolutely. know, we'll visit that series soon. But in Invasion Number One, mm -hmm. the Spectre got called out of the of Earth's dimension as if you know you can't interfere with this. Yeah. And then you tell Veitch, ah, sorry, geez, we forgot. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> it, it could. Yeah. It's possible that it's this. Last time I called out the irredeemable Shag for not having my back in the comment section because he's the one that <laughs> kind of riled me up. Okay. Uh, regarding the CW uh, shows, he did not like them. In that podcast, you played basically bad cop. I was more yeah. of a good cop. And I used a lot of Shag's arguments. Yeah, well, yeah, of course uh, you would. And then silence. Everybody came after me in the comments <laughs> and Shag's... Mm, it's, there's a uh, uh, term for this, right? It's, it's throwing somebody under a bus or some kind of I, large I, I vehicle. Believe, uh, yes, a uh, yes. public transport yeah. situation gone wrong. And uh, But it was just an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> he just hadn't gotten to it, okay. and uh, after I called him out, he decided to leave a long, long post about all of the uh, television invasions problems. So if you want to, I'm not going to read them here, as I don't want to exacerbate the situation. Yeah, but, <laughs> but somebody could read it. <laughs> yes, please go to the site if you want to pick a fight with Chag. Uh, he's he's <laughs> done all the uh, you know he's all his arguments are on there in uh, our in episode either in episode 17 or 16s. Comment section. So he, he laid down the groundwork for a fight. So please check it go out. ahead. And he has some fun going, uh, singing Swamp Thing, You Are Amazing, You Fight Everything Nasty. So a lot of people <laughs> did that. There's like also a Twitter comment where, you know, it's Wild Thing. Swamp Thing, You Make My Heart Sing, says Treasury Comics. That's Rob. Uh, okay. And then uh, who else? Uh, Jimmy McGlinchey calls it a, good, a very good episode. He says, Invasion took place in that weird intersection where titles like Swamp Thing was still part of the DCU, even though the stories themselves were far from what the main DCU was about. In some ways, having Swamp Thing crossover with the Invasion was probably not the right thing to do. However, I do like it when such stories come about 
showing the intersection of the superhero with the supernatural. Having said all that, I was not a fan of the use of Guy Gardner in this. Uh, and then he says, regarding stories of Hawkman to read. Oh. We're still trying to find you some Hawkman to read. Yes. I recently read the Hawkworld series by John Ostrander and Graham Nolan and would highly recommend issues 1 through 25 of that series, excellent mix of action and politics. While I agree, we're not giving Bass 25 issues to read. It's got to be like a... You know, Let, four or five issues. Let's start with four or five, and then we'll see if we get to 25. And I don't know how I feel about handing you even the Hawkworld miniseries that rebooted Hawkman. Because okay. it's not really the classic Hawkman. It's like more of a techno-dystopian Hawkman. Okay. It's good. It's Metal Wing Hawkman? Metal, wi- metal Wing Hawkman. Military or... The more uh, military-looking yeah. one. While those are good series, I'm not sure that it would make you a Hawkman fan in the way that I would want you to be a Hawkman fan. <laughs> I get it. I still say just the, the Joe Hubert-drawn Silver Age stories, but before they switch artists. Okay. It's the sexy couple okay. policing Earth. Just, I could just probably deal with that. The Joe Hubert art alone carries it. Anyway, but we will see other uh, okay. other people will you know suggest other other things through this. The Diablo Frank, for example, the Shadow War of Hawkman is a swell entry level four issue miniseries with a classic and heroic crime fighting couple. Yeah, you guys are really digging deep. I mean, I'm I'm I appreciate the effort, but yeah, I'm not sure. What man. about the Wednesday comics? Strip. I'm asking out there. You haven't seen it <laughs> by Kyle Baker. How about that? Uh, let's see. Uh, Diablo Frank also says, like Siskoid, I read one Alan Moore issue of Swamp Thing at too young an age. It freaked me out, and I avoided more. Uh, aside from the few issues of the short-lived Black and White Swamp Thing reprint series from the 90s, the trade for American Gothic and a few odds and sods, I still haven't gone back to the run. However, that story about the meat puppet really piques my interest. <laughs> nom nom. What I love about the Marvel Universe is that everything has been connected into one mega story since Fantastic Four number one. What I love about DC Comics is that it's a collection of different companies that all had wildly varying content that can never be melted down into one soup, especially in the 80s. On any given week, you'd have an Angel Love or Arak or Funny Stuff or Swamp Thing, so diverse and serving so many different potential audiences. If you could afford to buy every Invasion tie-in at a direct market retailer, you should be mature enough to handle the whiplash of your cheesy sci-fi smashing into some contemporary sophisticated horror. It's good for you to expand your horizons. And then Paul Hicks. Poor Paul in some refugee camp in Australia <laughs> where the invasion is still going on. Hiding his yep. bottom from the cons. We really got to send some superheroes down there. Yeah. Uh, he says, I thought Cisco was a little too casually dismissive of uh, Mark Miller's role in Swamp Thing compared to Grant Morrison. I'm unaware of any suggestion of Morrison writing any part of the run after his first four issues. The Miller issues are really great, imaginative, and twisted. Probably the best Swamp Thing has been after more. I agree with that. And mm-hmm. it just felt like it to me. It, it, it seemed like maybe in some Morrison helped with the outline kind of yeah. thing. But it's entirely possible. Mark Miller, the early Mark Miller, actually had some very good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was sort of a Morrison-ish. Yeah. Even his Superman Adventures, the tie-in comics for the to the animated series. Uh, he did a lot of those. And they were really good. But they were like tributes to the Silver Age, which is really a Grant Morrison thing. It's a Morrison thing, yeah. Uh, Paul Hicks says, in a related note, if you have written Mark Miller off as a cheap shock cynic... It may be time for a revisit. His work on Huck and Starlight is thrilling, optimistic, and at times downright delightful. Well, 
Good, good to hear. Michael Bailey from um, Views from the Long Box says, Wow, I need to finally read Swamp Thing. Jeez, Mike. <laughs> I read the first Alan Moore trade years ago, and there was an issue guest starring uh, Lex Luthor that I read for uh, From Crisis to Crisis, which I wasn't a fan of, but that had less to do with Swamp Thing and more to do with how much Veitch butchered Lex as a character. Uh, Lex is a very complex character, so, you know, it, that happens. Uh, Ryan Daly of... Uh, Everything? What, yeah, whatever that fishnet show, whatever that is. <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> it's a great show. Whatever fetish. It's the power of fishnet. Whatever fetish he's uh, feeding. Uh, it says, struggling to come up with scientific thoughts and comments as my mind is scattered this morning. So I'll limit myself to saying this was a terrific episode, you guys. They all are, but I greatly enjoyed this one in large part because of the subject matter. And really, the show we should name drop here is uh, Midnight, the podcasting hour, which... Yeah in its rotation, is covering uh, old Swamp Thing stories. Yeah. Finally, Sphinx Magoo says, My introduction to Alan Moore's run of Swamp Thing came with the Adam Strange issues. If Bass wants a crazy introduction to Thanagarians, he should check out those issues. Okay. That pre-Vertigo stuff had a lot of character assassination going on. Okay. <laughs> it's not just Guy Gardner, the giant douchebag. It's... It's everything? Well, it's, let's put a dark spin on Adam Strange. Let's put a dark spin on even that Justice League, you know, evil gods kind of look to him. Okay. Uh, so they did a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's crazy. Maybe I should look that up once I've, you know, checked out some Actually checked others. out some actual yeah. Hawkman. Uh, and let's just go through some uh, Facebook likes and shares, uh, Google Plus pluses and, not, and pluses. pluses, and pluses. Y- you guys are keeping Google Plus live. And uh, Twitter retweets and favorites. So on Facebook, Abadaba, uh, artist Howard Simpson. Hi, Abel uh, Padilla, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson, Daniel Budnick, uh, David Foster, Jared West, Martin Gray, Michael Bailey, Mike Peacock, Nicholas Brom, Rob Kelly, Robert Ward, Roger Preeb, Ryan Daly, Shauna Emmons, and Shag Matthews. Alphabetically put, for your convenience. (laughs) Thank you, you guys. Uh, Google Plus, we have the Hammer Strikes, that's Gene Hendricks. And on Twitter, Ange, Backup Ziggy, Coffin Comics, Comic Reflections, Dead as Hell, Firestorm Fan, Jeffrey Brown, Jim Ball, Joe Crawford, Justice's First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, Matches Balone, Michael Bailey, who gives me props for digging out the opening theme of the USA Swamp Thing series, uh, Richard Field, Roy Cleary, Sean Merrick, The 108th Sage, Tony Wolf, Treasury Comics, Visnu Ganyan, Willie Yarbrough, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Next time on First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. Detective Comics 595. Hello, hello, letters from the front, letters from the back.